Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where today we're going to bring you inside one of our special events that we had at Just the News this week. We had the blessing to have House, former House Speaker Newt Gingrich, former Congressman Alan West, and former presidential uh, attorney Jenna Ellis to join us about a really robust discussion called Faith Under Fire. And what we focus on are the extraordinary threats that are going on today with religious liberty in America. Uh, some are related to the pandemic. Some are related to other things, healthcare and the Obamacare uh, lawsuits and mandates. Uh, but we brought in three experts for a really robust discussion about where we are with religious freedom. It was the first freedom in America. As you remember, when you go to the, the Bill of Rights and the First Amendment, the first freedom mentioned is the, the right to assemble and practice your faith, even before free speech and others. And yet today in the last you know 18 to 24 months, there have been epic battles uh, from California to Washington, D.C. in the courts. There have also been important uh, rulings uh, about the ability of the government to infringe on freedom. We talk about all of that for the next hour. Just enjoy the conversation we've had with Faith Under Fire, our special panel discussion with Newt Gingrich, Alan West, and Jenna Ellis coming up. I hope you enjoy it. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, our first panel is about to start. We're very lucky to have three brilliant minds with us today. Uh, speaker Newt Gingrich, former Speaker of the House, uh, former presidential candidate, historian, one of my good friends. Uh, Newt Gingrich, great to have you here today, sir. Thank you. Great to be here. And second, uh, secondly, joining us, uh, Colonel Alan, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, uh, former member of Congress. You've seen him on TV. He's been influential. He's the current uh, chairman of the Texas uh, Republican Party, and most importantly, national spokesman for My Faith Votes. He's here. Colonel West, good to have you aboard. It's a pleasure. Good to be with you. And there are two outstanding minds. I'm just a dumb old paratrooper. 
<laughs> well, we're, we're sure proud of your service to our country, so we love it. And uh, our third guest is Jenna Ellis, uh, who has been a constitutional lawyer. She's fought on the front lines of some of the most important religious liberty cases. And most recently, you might have seen her in the news or on television, because she also served as senior legal counsel uh, to the Trump campaign, particularly during the election integrity battles that followed the November 3rd election. Jenna, great to have you aboard. Thanks so much for doing this, John. It's a really important topic and great to be here. Yes, well, we're, we're so lucky to have all three of you here. So um, I want to jump right in because we want to get to some of the audience questions. So uh, Speaker Gingrich, I want to start with you. You're a historian. I always love that about you. And I think you have a way of looking, pulling back and looking at America with a long lens. And I want to ask you, when you look at the state of religious freedom right now in the uh, United States, how does it compare to where we were historically? You know, what, what do you think of the moment we find ourselves in at this at this time? Well, I think that it is probably the most endangered that it has been since the Revolutionary War. There were some limitations on religion prior to that, particularly on specific religions. Uh, the Quakers had helped found uh, Pennsylvania, for example, but even by they began to be crowded out by the more traditional religions. So. There was a real question when they engaged in writing a Declaration of Independence and then a Constitution, because the British tradition was, and the European tradition was, uh, that you had a state religion. And they really wanted to create genuine freedom and a genuine opportunity for everyone. Uh, now, they weren't anti-religious. That's a modern liberal lie. Uh, Cliston and I wrote a book called uh, one, uh, Rediscovering God in America. And in Rediscovering God in America, we took people around to all the major uh, statues and monuments in Washington and connected each of them, Jefferson, Washington, you name it. Every one of them has a tie back to religion and back to God. <clears throat> that tradition really only began to be challenged after World War II in a series of court cases which represented a, a rising secular, anti-religious belief. And that anti-religious belief gained momentum so that on the American left today, you are more likely to be against religion than for religion. And it makes perfect sense because they, they've what's happened is the common culture has reduced religion from seven days a week, part of your life every, every hour, to Sunday morning or Saturday afternoon for one hour, and that's your religious hour. So uh, I think it's literally true that some of the more liberal politicians in places like Nevada, where casinos stayed open, the churches were closed, that the governor probably didn't see going to church as a big deal, had no, you know, had no clue why it matters or, or why there's a difference between allowing Walmart to be open and allowing the local cathedral or synagogue or church to be open. And I think that this is a wake-up call. I also have to say, if you look back at the great history of the martyrs and the great history of people who were willing uh, to risk dying for their religion, and you look at the reaction in this country this year, it's been remarkably passive and timid and, and risk-avoidant. Uh, there have been a handful of pastors around the country who have been willing to stand up and hold their religious service and challenge the government to come arrest them. 
but as a general rule, people subordinated, you know, even very religious people subordinated their most profound personal beliefs to going along to get along, tolerating uh, domination by a secular state. So I would say you are as close to seeing the First Amendment lose its power to protect religious liberty as we have been at any point in our history. And that's why it makes perfect sense on the left to file a lawsuit against the Little Sisters of the Poor and not even have a notion that that's an anti-religious activity. Uh, and I think you're going to see in the Biden administration a whole series of actions that are profoundly uh, against religious beliefs and against people who have religious beliefs. And I think that uh, the challenge to us is to communicate to every American how much the risk is of uh, literally their faith being wiped out or made irrelevant. It's sort of like, it's okay if you're Jewish or if you're Catholic or if you're Protestant, as long as you don't take it seriously. We, we don't mind if that's what you kind of like to believe. But if you actually want to witness for your faith, practice your faith, follow the rules of your faith, uh, those would be signs of uh, the kind of deviance that we probably need to put you into a retraining camp on the Maoist Chinese tradition uh, and make sure you get re-educated into a proper understanding uh, that uh, religion cannot be allowed to challenge any left-wing ideology. You know, I wanted to follow up on one thing you said, because I've, I've talked to a lot of people in the last month who've had very similar sentiments, which is it's the American public have been so passive in, in the intrusion that have occurred, particularly since COVID. Do you have a theory why? Is it because the pandemic has just taken so much of our other life away, the economy and our freedoms, that people aren't fighting as hard for religious freedom? Or have we just begun to take it for granted? Why do you think there's been such a passive response to such extreme measures? Oh. I think two totally different reasons. First of all, I do think the shock effect of a pandemic and the closing down of the economy and all the different things we've been through this year and social distancing, et cetera, all of those left people bewildered. And so they, they were not as prepared to act on their natural instincts. But I think the second reason is that in all too many cases, uh, being a religious leader has become a job rather than a vocation. So you have an amazing number of religious leaders uh, who are perfectly happy to go to the Rotary Club or the Kiwanis Club, you know, uh, and hang out and go golfing in the afternoon with the president of the local bank. But they don't really, they don't really, they don't live a depth of, of faith in Christ or a depth of faith in Yahweh. And they don't live uh, a commitment that would lead them uh, to stand up to the state. And so we're, we're very close to uh, an, uh, the kind of danger that George Orwell described in 1984. Uh, and this is very funny. I have here in my office a poster that uh, up on the wall that I was given by Solidarity when uh, Calista and I made a movie on John Paul II called Nine Days to Change the World. And the Solidarity leaders gave us an original poster from the period when they were striking against the Soviet Empire. And it says in Polish, for Poland to remain Poland, two plus two must always equal four. 
And it's a takeoff on the argument that if, if the state tells you 2 plus 2 equals 5 or 2 plus 2 equals 7 or 2 plus 2 equals 9, your job as a citizen is to learn what the state has told you. And it was the it was solidarity saying, no, there are facts and there are truths. And even if the totalitarian dictatorship wants to pretend otherwise, we're not going to do that. Well, I would say the same thing has happened here. Uh, any reasonable view of where we are would suggest that the time has come for everybody who is truly religious to basically engage in uh, some form of, of uh, defying uh, the police powers that are currently being used to crush religious people. It's a remarkable time. And to think, as you said, that we're maybe at the closest point to the loss of a religious freedom since the Revolutionary War is a profound point to, to even begin to think about. Colonel West, you jumped out of uh, airplanes for us as a paratrooper. You've served in Congress. Uh, you've always been a defender of freedom. In fact, just a year ago, as I was preparing for this, I, I dug up this great column you wrote that said, the religious freedom was the first freedom and it was the key to all of the all other liberties that we enjoy in America. Did you ever imagine a time uh, as you were going through your service that we would be able to go to Walmart or to the casino and not be able to worship on a Sunday under the powers of the state? No, I never thought that that would be uh, conceivable in the United States of America. And I remember when I was stationed down at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, on an exchange with the Marine Corps, and 9-11 happened, and how everyone ran to the churches. But yet, as uh, the speaker uh, articulated here in this COVID-19 issue, what we have seen is churches being closed. So that is something that is truly unconscionable to me. And serving 22 years in the United States military, I always had a Bible that sat right there on my desk because I think that was one of the greatest leadership books that are out there. But yet you have a gentleman by the name of Mikey Weinstein of the Military Religious Freedom Foundation that is really going after anyone that is of a Christian evangelical faith. And he is trying to force the, uh, the silencing of Christians in the military. And we see chaplains even in the military right now being persecuted and prosecuted. So I, I think that this is a very tri troubling time because if you look at it historically, in the Revolutionary War, we had the Black Robe Brigade. You had members that you know came down out of the pulpit and they went out and fought for this thing called liberty and freedom. And again, echoing what you're saying, where are those same type of pastors, ministers, and leaders not getting out and leading this charge? And when you think about our very first liberty that we have in our Bill of Rights, the freedom of religion and the free exercise thereof, it is so important that we understand that the United States of America was founded on a principle unlike any other country in the world. It's a principle that said that your inalienable rights, your life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness are endowed to you by the creator God, our Judeo-Christian God, not government. And so if you go back and you study the second treatise of government by John Locke, that was really the, the dividing point. It was a changing point for this, uh, for this nation because what Locke did was he said that if man has a natural right to have a relationship with uh, his heavenly father, then you know maybe all of his rights are something that come from this heavenly father and that relationship is established. So John Locke moved us away from this divine rights theory that basically said you had to get your buy or your leave and your coming and your going from kings and queens, monarchs and what have you, a ruling class but then he said that these rights are inherent to you, natural to you, and that's what Thomas Jefferson built upon. 
And so when I think about one of my great heroes of history, it's Sir Thomas More, who stood up to uh, King Henry VIII, who was establishing the Church of England, and he wanted Thomas More, you know, his chancellor, his, uh, his counselor, to recognize him above, you know, God and above the church as it was. And Thomas More refused to do that. And so I think that's why we see this intricate uh, discussion that we need to have about what is really separation of church and state, because I see the progressive socialist left trying to separate us from our Judeo-Christian faith heritage. And if they do that, then government with a little g replaces God with a big G as the ones who grant you your inalienable rights. Well, Colonel West, there's a lot to think about that there. We at Just the News have been doing a lot of reporting on just how much little g government is intruding on Americans' lives while big G God gets pushed aside. The pandemic, of course, has been one of the uh, primary flashpoints from that. Now, we have a lot more to talk about in the coming segments. We've got more with Newt Gingrich, Alan West, and Jenna Ellis after this commercial break. Also, we've got a panel of uh, extraordinary frontline ministers, pastors, people on the front line who are experiencing a little bit of that big G interference on their efforts to serve God. That's coming ahead along with the CEO of My Faith Votes talking a lot about what you can do if you're inspired by today's conversation, what you can do in the political sphere, what you can do in your own community, what you can do in your own church to make a difference. All right, let's go to that commercial break. When we come back, more with Newt Gingrich. Alan West, and Jen Ellis. We the people. We the people. A movement of 90 million Christians in America who stand for one name only. And that's Jesus. We're standing for biblical truth in the public square. We're standing to vote. So we can see our Judeo-Christian values restored. It's why at My Faith Votes, we recognize that voting represents more than a political preference. It's a declaration for God. And as we unite through what we believe, we are also standing against the spiritual opposition that stands against us. We are committed to empowering every believer, keeping them informed and equipped to vote from a biblical perspective. At My Faith Votes, we do it all for one reason. One reason. One reason. Because we know that when 90 million believers stand to vote, we're standing in agreement power of unity changes everything. United. United. We stand. So that America stands strong for God. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Bite, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. One of the things I've been seeing in the comments today is how do we keep this conversation going beyond the great panel we're having here today with Speaker Gingrich, Colonel West, and Jenna Ellis? Well, the answer is we're having this conversation every day at justthenews.com, particularly on our podcasts and on our television shows. Host David Brody 
Kerry Sheffield and Eric Greitens are bringing in newsmakers to illuminate these issues, to show you where the line between government and freedom has been moving as we go through this tumultuous time in American history. Be sure to check those out on Real America's Voice or at justthenews.com. Now, I want to get back to a very important topic that's on the back of my mind, and it's obviously on your minds here in the audience. Where did, uh, Colonel, I just want to ask you one question. Where do you think that loss of uh, appreciation for the essence of America. How did that begin to erode? Did it happen in our education system? Do we just get fat and lazy as we get wealthy as a country? Where did we lose that connectivity to our first uh, freedom? Well, without a doubt, there has been an attack on our cultural systems. I mean, I grew up in the inner city of Atlanta, Georgia, and it was all about family. It was all about church. And, it, you know, even though I couldn't sing very well, my mother told me I would be in the youth choir. So it was Bible study. It was all of these things that created that foundation. And when you see what the left has done, the left has destroyed that traditional nuclear family. The left has gone after our churches. The left has taken over our systems of uh, education, our academic systems. Many of your you know, historic Ivy League schools were started as schools based upon a religious faith and a religious study. But now you don't see that happening. So it is very disconcerting. And where we have come to now, when I think about Joe Biden's speech last week, it wasn't about unity. It was about conformity. And if you don't conform to a progressive socialist ideological agenda, guess what? Now they're classifying Christians as white Christian nationalists or Christian extremists, which is what John Brennan talked about last week in uh, some comments. So it, it, your, your faith is now becoming subservient. And so we have seen an erosion in our cultural system, in the family, in the church, in our education systems. And this is not something that happened overnight. This has been a, a target. This has been uh, a campaign plan for the last 60, maybe 70 years. Wow. So it has been a slow, slow attack. I, 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 when I hear the word extremist and I heard it applied to religion, I, I'm often re I'm quickly reminded of the uh, Martin Luther King's letter from uh, the jail in Birmingham, where he, out of his way, said it's maybe time for us to be a little more extremist and to practice our faith in ways. And it's so funny that an icon of the left, that those words now today would be shamed if he uttered them in 2021. Uh, it's, it's just remarkable. Jenna, you've been on the front lines uh, of so many of these. You, uh, uh, Colonel West just mentioned Thomas More, and you've worked for the Thomas More Society, uh, fighting some of these important religious liberty cases. Um, we were having a conversation the other night, and it just got me thinking uh, uh, why, why religion was the first freedom in the Constitution. What was the context of it? You gave me this little uh, lesson that I just haven't forgot since. And why don't you, if you could share that a little bit, why you think it, it came to be that way? Yeah, and that's a great question, John. And I think that um, you know it follows perfectly with what uh, Speaker Gingrich and, and uh, Colonel West were just talking about, that uh, a lot of people in America today don't actually understand the context of our Constitution. We have this idea that government has the right to do anything that it wants and that uh, somehow our powers and our rights as we the people are limited just to the text of the First Amendment. And it's completely false. And so what we have to go back and, uh, and actually understand about why America is so truly great and why our nation was founded so differently is that our founders recognized that all human beings are made in the image of God. And as individuals who have that imago dei or that image of God are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights. And Thomas Jefferson used that term unalienable because that meant that it can't be alienated from us. We can't 
can't buy, sell, um, infringe, or abridge upon those intrinsic rights that are given to the individual. And so we created this system of government that was limited in its powers. And that's what our constitution provides for, is that our government only has very specific limited power in order to carry out legitimate functions. And part of the reason that we have the Bill of Rights, even though that was hotly debated at the Constitutional Convention, Alexander Hamilton, who's uh, one of my favorite founders, argued against a Bill of Rights because he argued that later, um, say maybe in the year 2021 and 2020, (laughs) future governors and government actors that were uh, predisposed to usurp and infringe on our rights would actually look at the text of a Bill of Rights and say that because uh, religious freedom, for example, is in the First Amendment, then that gives the government the ability to say when, where, and how we can exercise those rights. That is nowhere in the Constitution. What the Bill of Rights and ultimately James Madison prevailed in that argument, and we do have um, our first 10 amendments, which are known as the Bill of Rights, that are specifically saying, Congress, this is what you can't do. And so if you look at the Constitution and Article 1, Section 8 only gives Congress very specific, limited subject matter and very limited power. What the government can't do, putting this now in the context of 2021 and everything that we learned over the past year, what our federal government and even the state government, um, and there's, of course, the federalism difference there, what they don't have is the ability to become the head of the church. That's what separation of church and state actually means, is that there are, it's a completely different uh, sphere of authority. And so our founders recognized that the Judeo-Christian worldview says that Jesus Christ is the head of the church and that we as uh, Christians and uh, and people of faith can practice our sincerely held religious beliefs without uh, the government stepping in and saying that that in any way the government is the head of the church. And that's what pastors today have to reclaim and ultimately recognize is that nowhere in the in the U.S. Constitution gives the government the right to come in and tell us how to practice our sincerely held religious beliefs or treat us any differently than other businesses. I mean, there are a lot of constitutional questions about uh, the constitutionality of Uh, the government arbitrarily determining what is and isn't essential for me and my family, you and your family, even in the context of business, of social life, of our right to pursue happiness, our right uh, to be engaged in the marketplace, uh, for example. But even more than that, we have a right that is protected specifically in the Constitution in our First Amendment that has an even higher threshold. And that threshold is to make sure that the government does not usurp that role and think that it is the head of the church. And what we've had over the course and what we've seen so clearly, um, Colonel West is right, it happened starting 50 and 60 years ago when the Supreme Court and that whole line of precedent on social issues started uh, telling uh, ways that um, the church would have to ultimately yield to um, some of these social progressive issues like Little Sisters of the Poor to say, well, you're an organization, so we are going to compel you to provide, for example, contraceptives, even though that's against your sincerely held religious beliefs. And they did so under the auspice of saying, well, that's a right that emanates from the vast penumbra, this right 
uh, to contraceptives, these so-called right to abortion. And so they're now fabricating rights that now they're going to arbitrarily determine uh, whether or not uh, the, the government, how, when and where they can tell uh, certain faith-based organizations and churches how they have to interact uh, with those ideas and those practices. So we have to go back, John, and understand why America was founded on this understanding that we all have individual freedom. And what freedom and liberty truly means is that we can't be compelled by our government to either uh, cede that the government is the head of the church or to cede any of our rights because government is simply claiming the power. And so I wrote an article for The Federalist um, at the very beginning of the pandemic in April, talking about how it is an unconstitutional assertion for the government, um, even the state government, to claim that they can arbitrate the difference between what is and is not essential, primarily for the church, but especially for the individual, even in a, a business type of setting. So I think it's really important that we, the people, not only uh, understand the limitations of government, but we also reclaim the uh, identity of America as understanding that our founders specifically recognized that we have unalienable rights and the government has specific, very, very limited powers. Um, the, absolutely. And I'm going to I want to come back to you in a second, Jen, and ask about the uh, ruling that came down on Thanksgiving Eve against Governor Cuomo. But I want to go to Newt Gingrich for a second, because as I was listening to you speak, Jen, I was thinking of something uh, uh, when I first came to town. Speaker Gingrich was just about to uh, uh, take on the Gingrich Revolution, the Republican Revolution. And there was a contract with America that had its 10 points and it was all action oriented. Speaker, when you look out now, if you're somebody on the front lines worried about this extraordinary erosion of religious liberty, what would you put in a contract with America for religious liberty? What action items do you have so that people on this conference today can go home and say, this is what we need to do with our political leaders, our courts? What are some of the top action items you would recommend? Well, I mean, look, I would start exactly where I think Jenna was taking us, and that is uh, we need a bill which reasserts that First Amendment rights cannot be set aside by any level of government. And one way to do that would be to say no institution, which, which no government institution, which receives federal funds will set it, can be allowed to set aside any rights. So whether you're the governor of Michigan, who's clearly deeply anti-religious, or the governor of California, you would you'd be hand-strung and you would write into the bill a, a first right of suing uh, so that you would literally be ta taking lessons away from how the American Civil Liberties Union has tried to radicalize America. I mean, if, if every bill which defended uh, our core values had in it that the attorneys would be paid if they won the case, which has been a huge engine driving the left, I mean, they've been very clever about this. And we yeah. need to be prepared to go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. And, and, the, and the first assertion, I think, has to be that the Declaration of Independence is correct. Our rights come from our creator, and therefore, no limitation on the ability of Americans to worship God as they see fit should be allowed, and no emergency decree should be able to last for more than a week or two, uh, even under the most dire circumstance. And I think you have to have a straight-up fight between those who want to assert that religious freedom and religious participation is central to being a human being and those who want to assert 
that there are other values dramatically more important uh, than God and religion. I think that fight's inevitable and is the only way in the long run that we will reassert the First Amendment. Yeah, it's a really remarkable moment to, to think that we're talking this way, but it, literally that's the dire straits that so many people find themselves in. I'm looking at the comments and there's a lot of amens going on here and thank you to your service. So for our three panelists, just know that you're, you're greatly appreciated by this audience. Uh, Colonel West, I want to ask you, you know, uh, one of the things that we've seen in the last decade is an effort to get pastors and Christians more involved in the political process. And, you know, My Faith Votes is a big part of that. What are some of the things that everyday citizens that are on this uh, conference today, what can they do to get involved to make a difference? Who can they turn to to get trained and to get into the game, to let their members of Congress, their presidential candidates, their city councils know they mean to preserve their liber uh, religious liberty? Well, my faith votes have done an incredible job, and it comes down to three points. You have to inform people, you have to educate people, and then you have to activate them. And so often that we have folks with a lot of energy, but they don't have the first two uh, instances, being informed, being educated. I think right now uh, we've got the municipal level elections coming up. We've got to get more Christians involved and engaged at the municipal level, and especially the school board, because what you see happening is such a conversion of our academic system and our curriculum that we need to have more Christians run for something. Elections in the United States of America, city council also, uh, county commission and, uh, and county clerks. And so uh, My Faith Votes has done a great job in getting people together, organizing at the community level, to give them these incredible uh, education points, information points, and getting them engaged in the system and getting them engaged with their local and also their state uh, their governance. And that's the key thing. You know, when you come back and you look at the system of federalism that we have here, you look at the Ninth and Tenth Amendments, that's where we have to really focus ourselves at the state level and below and also with the individuals. And that's why I'm proud to be a, a spokesperson for My Faith Votes because back four years ago, I think we had something uh, close to 25 million persons that did not vote in 2016. We have really taken that number down, and we had about 9,000 new Christian voters come out in this past election cycle. And so we got to continue that glide path. Wow. Yeah, those are big numbers and important numbers to the base of the Republican Party, with, without a doubt. I know, folks, that when you're hearing some of this, it feels like you're listening to a fiction novel or some Hollywood, Hollywood made movie. But in fact, this is very real. At justthenews.com, we've been chronicling a lot of these intrusions on faith, on the First Amendment, whether they come from social media companies, from the uh, big government or small governments in our communities, whether they come from the elitist in Washington. And uh, over the course of today's uh, session, we're sending out links of stories we've written, actual factual times where these intrusions have occurred. We hope you enjoy those. We also sent you a copy of the Constitution and the First Amendment so you can see what our founding fathers really intended more than 240 years ago. We'll be right back after this commercial break. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 
right, folks, you're going to ask many times, where do I go to get information like this? Well, my colleagues are sending out links as we talk about it to you. They're in the chat box. You should enjoy them. Click on them. What we do at Just the News, we don't just give you the story. We give you the raw documents so you can make up your own mind. You don't have to take our word for it. How do you do that? When you're on a story, click in on the dig in button, drill down on the documents, the links, the audio, the video that goes with each story. We want to be transparent with you so you can make up your own mind. Um, Jenna, we just described a scenario where the left seems very emboldened to try to erode these rights or to put their own interpretation on them. And then the uh, Speaker Gingrich mentioned the fact that some of our pastors and the conservatives have been complacent. The courts have been the one place where religious liberty has continued to fare well. Tell us a little bit about how important, the, while we were cooking our turkeys on Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, the Cuomo ruling before the Supreme Court was, and particularly uh, Justice Gorsuch's declaration that just because we have a pandemic doesn't mean we get to suspend the Constitution. Where, what's been important about that ruling and the other rulings that you've been working on? Yeah, that's a, also an important question. And uh, it was very good that the Supreme Court uh, and rightly acknowledged that this pretext of an emergency uh, actually is being used by the Democrats and by the left to take hold of immeasurable power. And they're doing it because fear is a very easy motivator. Um, they have, they've harnessed, of course, the power of the leftist activist media to perpetuate this myth that if you're not on board with allowing uh, the government to uh, tell you basically anything <laughs> that it wants, that somehow uh, you know, you're not willing to be a good citizen and participate in this. But the, the problem here, of course, John, to uh, religious freedom is that emergency in the context of uh, these acts in the states? Um, there's there's always uh, you know emergency powers acts. Emergencies are by definition supposed to be temporary, and what we've seen over the course of this whole past year is that uh, the Democrats and these Democrat governors have extended these uh, declarations of emergency indefinitely. And so they're telling pastors, you have to shut down your indoor services, um, even to a greater extent than indoor dining, to um, some of these large uh, warehouse stores like Walmart, like Home Depot. Right. And you have to do this indefinitely until we tell you that you can come back. And that's absolutely unconstitutional. And for um, even some of the pastors that I represent, and probably um, to this audience, um, you'll know Pastor John MacArthur is one of the probably the most prominent of my clients through the Thomas More Society. And by the way, there are some really amazing organizations like the Thomas More Society, where I'm special counsel, Alliance Defending Freedom, um, you know, I'm one of their allied attorneys, uh, First Liberty, some good friends over there. There are a lot of organizations that exist solely to make sure that we protect these instances of government targeting uh, pastors and targeting people who are faith-based um, and trying to make sure that we protect their religious freedom. And so for Pastor MacArthur in particular, uh, their church closed for a number of months. They were willing to say, okay, we will do our part to help stop the spread. They did that willingly. But now L.A. County is targeting them. Um, they've gone so far as to try to revoke a, a lease um, of their parking lot just because Pastor MacArthur and his board are saying, wait a minute, you can't tell us that we that we have this pretext of an emergency and now you can just come in and do whatever you want and tell us that we can't hold church services indoors indefinitely. 
that's absolutely unconstitutional. So we have to make sure, first and foremost, as citizens, to be educated, to understand civics, to reclaim the Constitution and the First Amendment in context, why religious freedom matters, why all of our unalienable rights matter. And we have to hold the government to its very, very limited powers and why that uh, case, that Supreme Court case out of New York was so profoundly significant and why it was absolutely correct is because the Democrat left cannot harness the so-called emergency to then simply come in and say, now we get to abridge your freedoms um, in any way, shape and form we want, because we've decided that this emergency is more important than you being able to exercise your rights. That's not what our country was built upon. And that is not the guarantee of the protection of our constitution against an overreaching government. Pretty remarkable to hear those words spoken. Um, we've had some great questions. I think we've covered a lot of the ones as I've been scrolling through, but Debbie Holt has a good question for you guys. Maybe I'll start with Newt on this one. Do, you, do we have anyone in Congress who would lead this religious uh, liberty fright? Uh, do you see, Newt, any leaders on, in the Congress or in the political sphere that you would recommend people reach out to? Yeah, I think a number of people in the Senate, for example, I think of Mike Lee, right. uh, who has great courage, uh, T uh, Ted Cruz, who has proven once again that he can't be intimidated, uh, would be two of the examples I would look to for people who are prepared to stand firm uh, and take the heat and then actually believe passionately and deeply in the cause of religious liberty. And uh, Marco Rubio has on a number of occasions uh, stood firm for religious liberty. So I do think there are a number of people who uh, understand how important this is and who are prepared to uh, take it head on. Yeah, that's a, that's a key is to have that army of people and leaders there. Colonel West, when you look at, you're starting to see, you know, you're, as a Republican Party chairman in Texas, of course, you're, you're working with My Faith Votes. You get to see some of the rising stars, the new and up-and-comers in the conservative movement. Is there anyone you're seeing or is there any uh, traits that you're seeing in the next generation of conservative leaders that will lend themselves to this fight uh, for uh, religious freedom? Well, I see a lot of courage and boldness that is out there. One of the great things that I saw happen through this election cycle, and we all know the minority electoral support that you had out there from President Trump, the most for Republican president in 60 years. And I think that the most important thing that we need to do is have that connection with these Christian pastors, especially in the Hispanic and the black communities, because they are the ones that have the most to suffer. And I'll give you a case in point. A few years back, it was Mayor Anise Parker of Houston, Texas, who That's went right. and supported pastors for their sermons. And those pastors were primarily Hispanic and black pastors. And there was a, a birth of a pastor's council, Texas Pastor's Council, and now it's become a national pastor's council. So I think that it's so important that these young, courageous, constitutional conservatives that we have elected in this uh, last election cycle, that they get connected with these pastors in their areas. A lot of people are just uh, flummoxed about how we were able to go in and flip the Rio Grande Valley. Well, what did we do? We went down and started talking to people about their Judeo-Christian faith heritage, their values, their family values, their desire for small business entrepreneurship. We made connections with pastors who are very influential in the communities in the Rio Grande Valley. So I think that's one of the uh, key uh, examples and models that we should start implementing. The um, Some of the questions I've scrolling through here, Jen, and because you were on both sides of this, we were working on the religious freedom, also fighting for election integrity. Some of the folks here are saying, uh, this is all great, but if, if our votes don't count, if election integrity isn't restored, we're not going to have the leverage that we thought we had 
to fight this uh, uh, fight on religious freedom. How important is it that people also be engaged on the election front, on the integrity issues following up, particularly getting state legislatures to reassert their authority over uh, the state laws that govern how people vote in, in each state? It's incredibly important. And I think that one of the uh, extreme failures of the evangelical and even Catholic churches um, over the course of the last few years have been to disengage in politics. And we've seen, uh, and I think we can go back to our nation's founding and seeing how many clergy were part of uh, the, the founding of our nation and how they understood that uh, being able to defend and protect in this country um, the idea and the philosophy that we are human beings made in the image of God and to make sure that we preserve and protect religious liberty necessarily means that we as Christians need to be involved in our government process. And so one of the things um, that I hope to help over the course of the next two years before midterms and certainly over the next four years is to go to these state legislatures and to tell them we have to put back uh common sense safeguards in our election integrity process. Uh, we, we as the American people and the electorate uh, deserve to have transparency in our elections. We deserve to um, make sure that we can count on election integrity and that every legal vote counts. And uh, we also have the electoral college system in place um, based on our founders' understanding that elections can be manipulated. And um, there was that protection in place specifically to make sure that the buck stops with the state legislatures. And uh, so I think that it's really important that we as a faith-based community and just as good American citizens engage in all fronts. Um, that's election integrity. That's religious freedom. It's um, engaging in educating ourselves on the true nature and context of our constitution and our declaration of independence. And it's making sure that we're not passive citizens that are benefiting from what our founding heritage provided to us, but that we are always the generation that will continue to say that we have to carry the torch of liberty. We've seen so how just incredibly easy it is, John, over the last year that these rights can be very, very quickly taken away if we're not careful. Yeah, the last year really has uh, awakened many people to the reality of what, how quickly they can be usurped. And the five minutes we have left, because I know everyone's busy, I want to get you back. We have one last question. It's an interesting one, because it's one that Newt and I have talked about offline in the past. Um, we've got the government, we've got the courts, we have all these different dynamics, we've got politics. Uh, but Robert Lewis mentions an important new factor on the political scene. It's the rise of what I call the American oligarchs, these billionaires who are able to inject all of this money into whatever fight it is, whether it's creating a more atheist country or changing how election officials do elections. Uh, in the time we have left, I'll just go through each, each, uh, all three of you with this question. How big a deal is it that these billionaire oligarchs, these powerful political players on the sidelines, now able to exercise so much power over our, our experiences, whether it's social media, government, politics, uh, how do we push that toothpaste back in the tube? I'll start with Newt, the way we started the conversation thing. Uh, Speaker, what do you think? Well, I'm going to draw two distinctions. I think, first of all, in terms of the Internet giants, uh, we have to find a method for creating a genuine public square where you can say what you believe without having some left-wing nutcake uh, living just outside San Francisco decide to take you out of the whole conversation. The idea of a dictatorship by three or four billionaires who dominate the internet is totally unacceptable. I think we will find a way to solve that. Part of it's gonna be finding other systems people can go to. 
part of it's probably going to be creating some serious legal liabilities when these people abuse power. But the other longer question that you ask, I think is really frightening. Uh, we have seen for some, for a variety of reasons, we've seen over the last 50 years, the rise of an oligarchy class, uh, people, whether it's George Soros, uh, or it is Zuckerberg, uh, or it is, um, you know, Mike Bloomberg, people who are so rich that they can afford to spend billions and it's just play money. And they believe that, that they've confused the notion that because God was good to them and they were economically successful, they're therefore morally superior. Uh, and I think this is going to be a huge problem. Uh, they rigged the game. If you look at how all the different money comes out of Washington, through New York, through the Federal Reserve, uh, how, you know, it, it's, it's very weird that through this entire COVID pandemic, the very rich have gotten richer, the middle class has gotten crushed, and the poor have gotten checks from the government. And we're in real danger of, of leaving the world of a middle class democracy and entering a world where you have oligarchs and you have serfs. And if you're not an oligarch, you're a serf. Even if you're relatively wealthy, you're a serf because you're competing with people who are worth 50, 60, 100 billion dollars. Uh, and I think it's huge. I think what Zuckerberg did, putting in 400 million dollars uh, in order to turn out the vote in specifically Democratic neighborhoods, uh, it clearly has to be a violation of the law. I think what the, 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 the giants did in terms of the Internet in cutting off and in censoring in October is uh, beyond belief. Uh, the notion that these guys believe they have the right to say to the President of the United States, we're not going to let you communicate, uh, is crazy. So I think this is, John, you put your finger on what I think may be a mortal threat to the survival of freedom in the United States. Yeah, well, thanks to Robert Lewis for that good question. Man, does time fly when we're having a great conversation? I can't believe it. Our time is up already. I want to thank Speaker Gingrich, Colonel West, Jenna Ellis for their extraordinary time today, their thoughts, the ideas that they brought to this table, and for their public service and, and fighting for freedom and faith in our country. Now, we're going to go take a quick commercial break. When we come back, War Room Pandemic. Next up on Real America's Voice, you don't want to miss what we're talking about today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, folks, that wraps up our special edition today, the Faith Under Fire panel. We're so uh, thankful that Speaker Gingrich and Congressman West, uh, Lieutenant Colonel West and Jenna Ellis were able to join us. I think there was a lot of food to, to chew on there, a lot of thought, uh, a lot of uh, ideas for how Americans could address the concerns they have about the assault on religious liberty in America. Now, tomorrow we're going to do a similar thing. We had the fortunate opportunity to bring in Ted Cruz and um, 
many other uh, great uh, guests, uh, Jessica Anderson from Heritage, to talk about what conservatives are trying to do to get themselves back on their feet after the November 2020 elections, an inside look of what one group, Heritage Action, and members of Congress are doing, senators and lawmakers, to try to get the Republicans back in control after the Democratic sweep in the November 3rd elections. We're going to have that for you tomorrow. Hope you look forward to that. It's a great conversation. A lot to learn from. A rare journalistic opportunity to go inside one effort and, and learn from it what people are doing, how it might impact 2022, 2024. So that'll be our podcast for tomorrow. Until then, have a blessed night with your family. May God bless you. May God bless America. And we'll be back Friday with another edition. And if you need a news fix in the interim, make sure you go to justinnews.com where we always have the latest breaking headlines. All right, we'll be back with you tomorrow.